Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Coffee and Clark. I am Javian. And I'm Tyler. And today, I'm actually going to interview Javian and pick his brain on the college application teaching process, how that works, the ins and outs, things that maybe they don't teach you in school, or, you know, tips and tricks that he's picked up along the way. But before we get into all that, Javian, coffee, talk to me. What are you drinking? So I had to go out and get a fresh bag of beans uh, today, actually. And uh, I went to a local coffee shop and I got the, I, I had a bunch of their stuff, uh, Perks Coffee um, out of Savannah. Um, and I got their Honduras blend, which is a strawberry and almond uh, tasting notes. Um, so trying it out right now as we speak, and it is delicious. And uh, you'll see how it goes. I've been um, continuing to brewing it on uh, pour over. Uh, I've actually borrowed one of, well, not borrow, my uh, colleague. He, we, we both are really into coffee. So we like brew coffee in the morning when we get to the office because our offices are like next door. So um, I've been using his B6 B60 uh, recipe. Um, so he's been like showing me his recipe. So I've been using that recipe and it's actually really good. So interested to try different uh, methods and different recipes that are out there on Google and out there, you know, people are like, have all these things about like, you have to brew it this long, use this temperature water and all these different things. So I've been trying that out. So, so far, so good. Um, nice. So, yeah, I know, right? So uh, tell me, what are you drinking today? Yeah, so there's this uh, coffee brand called Counterculture. And I found uh, a local local place had was actually selling some of their some of their beans. So I bought a bag of counterculture, and this one's kind of a it's a blend, so it's not from a specific uh, region. But this one is is more of a medium body chocolate caramel. It's nice. It's a little bit thicker, um, hence the medium body. And yeah, it's pretty good. I like it. And I'm also doing it on the V60 with the recipe that I've always kind of gone with, mm. uh, which is 15 grams of water for every gram of bean. Mm. So uh, mm. yeah, that's that's my method. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. the, the, the method I'm using right now is like, uh, use a timer. So like, yeah. you know, you pour, like the first pour, you pour uh, 30, sec- uh, 30 seconds, you get 50 grams of water, and then it goes from there. And you kind of go up by increments of 60. Yeah. So that's kind of new to me. I've never used the 60 ingredients or a recipe. So yeah, it's good stuff. I like it. It actually tastes really good. So Nice. Yeah. It's all about that bloom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So Javian, obviously you've been in the college teaching world a handful of years now. And my question starts with when does this process actually start? So, you know, people think like, oh, I'm going to start applying for schools kind of when things open up, but, you know, go back maybe a year or two before that. When does this process start? When should you really start thinking about applying for jobs? And when does that prep work begin? Well, before I answer your question, I, I just want to state that I, I don't necessarily consider myself like an expert on the topic. Um, obviously I've, I've been through the process a number of times and there's certain things I think, um, have allowed me to have some success in at least advancing in, in different rounds and, and having some success, you know, getting a job. Um, but to answer your question, 
Um, I think it starts basically when you enter graduate school. Like if you're getting, you know, if your goal is to get a, a collegiate teaching position, most likely you're going to want to get a doctorate. So to me, it starts basically day one in your in your doctoral degree, because that's the time where you need to start, you know, building up your marketability, you know, doing research, you know, getting recordings ready, um, networking, you know, getting publications, you know, doing all these things so that when it's time, once you're done with degree, your your practice or your CV is really strong, right? I always say, you know, in a doctoral degree, in some regards, you know, if you're a trumpet player or a trombone player or a clarinet player, the playing is, in my opinion, I think the playing is the least important in a doctoral degree because once you, you know, you're applying for jobs and everyone's looking at your, your materials, like everyone can play, right? They wouldn't be applying for these jobs. They couldn't play their instrument, right? Um, so to me, like the differences is the other things, the tangible things, you know, do you have um, experience teaching like a music history class or a music theory class or like what else do you do outside of just like your instruments? Because as you, you know, you and I both know is that the market is changing and you got to be able to do just more than one thing. I mean, there are jobs where it's just like a trumpet job or just a clarinet job. Um, but for the most part, those jobs are few in between. Um, and if you're just coming out of, you know, your doctoral degree, chances are you're going to be at a maybe a smaller institution that's going to require you to do other things outside of your your principal area. So I would say it definitely starts day one of your doctoral. You know, lucky for me, and, and you know this as well because you you're in the program. You know, our, our teacher at FSU was like all about marketability from like day one. I remember auditioning. From, uh, for the doctoral program and it's like you know this is the time for you to get your stuff together and really become very marketable so I think you can get a job one day I think you'd be very marketable one day um, you know I'm gonna help guide you through that process and while you're here so that when you're done then we have a, a strong package to put forth in in the in the job search um, so it really starts day one. And, you know, even my graduate students, even though they're they're just master students, I kind of have the same approach. It's like, you need to start thinking about the things outside of just trumpet. Like, what are your other interests um, that can help you be employable, be marketable? Um, so yeah, it definitely starts day one. Because um, I think if you're finishing your doctorate um, and then you're trying to get all your, your stuff together, then in some regards, it's probably, I wouldn't say it's too late. It's just, you may not be a, be as competitive for a job, like as soon as you're done, you know? So that's why I say it really starts that day one. So you have three years of research, three years of recordings, three years of scholarly work, all those things. So when you're done, you can kind of hit the ground running, at least, you know, have a fighting chance at, at the very least. Cause as you know, this is very I mean, the whole music industry is very competitive and, and getting a college teaching job is no different than that. So I would definitely say it starts day one, you know, find, find what interests you. So that, as I'm saying that, this reminds me, so I, when I was um, applying for doctoral programs, I, I applied, I auditioned at Peabody, right? Uh, and Joe Bergstaller was the, the trumpet teacher there at the time. And when I did my audition, my audition went pretty well. And, you know, I felt good about it. 
Uh, but at the end of my audition, we were like just talking and kind of like a mini interview session. And it was him and, and, and uh, Phil Sinetacor for any room. And uh, which was weird for me because like these guys are like these big figures in, in, in my head at the time. And, and uh, he asked me a question that I did not have an answer to. He's like, so, you, you know, you want to go into college teaching. What makes you special? You know, because at the end of the day, everyone's going to have a doctorate when they're playing for college college jobs right everyone can play so what makes you different and at that time I did not have an answer right and every since that he asked me that question I spent the next however many years trying to figure out what is my niche you know what are my interests what separates me from you know someone else with a, a DM or DMA um so I'm glad he asked me that question because it made me have to like reevaluate you know those things because you don't really think about it. He's oh, I'm just playing trumpet, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's I. So that inspired me to like really figure out where uh, or what my interests are. Like what's going to make me stand out from other folks. Nice. So let's say the last three years you're in your doctorate. You've put in the work. You've gotten some publications done. Uh, got really good quality recordings. You've done all the, kind of the grunt work. Mm -hmm. Now let's say you're at the end of your doctorate program and you see some job postings. Mm -hmm. Can you start from that process? Like, okay, everything that you just said you, you've done, now there's a job opportunity. Mm -hmm. How do you prepare for that? And almost give us like a crash course from like wow. okay. that point on to... Yeah, I know. But I, I feel like this is really helpful because I, in my opinion, I see a lot of information about audition stuff. Mm -hmm. So like, okay, for the beginning that they post the job, take us through everything that you do, yeah. that type of thing. But I don't really see a lot of stuff online about, you know, college teaching positions and, and, and this kind of process. Mm -hmm. It's very unfamiliar for me, at least. For you, you've experienced it and lived it. So you know exactly what that's like. But I think this could be really beneficial for people that are maybe at that position or maybe in a few months when they graduate and jobs are posted, they can kind of almost get the sense of what to expect or what to think about, you know? So can you kind of, kind of take us through like a crash course? Yeah, so yeah. And, and if I come up with something too, or, you know, I might, I might interject at different times oh, and, yeah, and yeah. point you in different directions. So just be patient with me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the job no, is posted. Yeah. You're, you're at school. You see it. What do you do? That's a really good question. Because um, you're right. There, I, I, there aren't really a lot of sources out there that kind of give you a crash course on that. Um, so when I when I first see a job posting, I make sure I read the description, like see what they want. Is it a trumpet, a trumpet and something else? Like is it trumpet in theory or trumpet in history or is it trumpet in like classical trumpet and jazz like you know get a real sense of like what they're asking for um then I do a lot of research on the institution get a, a sense of like what that institution values like what's the size of the school um where is it located all these different things and then say you know whatever the job is and that's like okay I can see myself in this position then I start applying to it so you know based on whatever the the job description is i you know when i'm doing my cv um not my cv sorry my cover letter um that you typically you you would have to write some type of cover letter for a job and um typically i'll write my cover letter to address 
the things that they want in the job description. So for instance, if it's a, a job posting on that they want someone to teach this trumpet and say like a music history class, for instance, then I'm just like, okay, in my cover letter, I'll talk about my trumpet teaching experience. You know, if I, you know, I was a, a TA um, during my doctorate, so I can talk directly about, you know, my teaching philosophy, my teaching experience at the collegiate level, um, you know, competitions, my, my performance um, activities, all those things. Those are the easy things, right? That'll, you know, go across the board, regardless of what the job is. And then, you know, if it's a trumpet in music history job, then I talk about what other teaching experiences I have in that cover letter. You know, I'll spend like maybe a paragraph talking about my trumpet teaching experience and maybe another paragraph about my teaching experience within like the music history realm, right? So I make sure I cover that. And, you know, and it, it varies from person to person based on their experience. And which brings me back to like what I was saying earlier about like marketability and making sure like you're doing all these different things outside of just like playing trumpet in your doctoral degree. Um, so I'll spend, you know, another paragraph just on that. And then um, depending whatever they're asking for, you know, typically I'll talk about recruiting because, you know, recruiting is one of the most important aspects of a job because you're most likely going to get asked about it if you get to the interview process. And even if you get the job, recruiting is really, really important, right? Uh, it's a bloodline to any program. So I, I spend, you know, a few sentences talking about in my, my recruiting uh, philosophy. Um, and then, you know, I make sure that even after I finish my cover letter, I go back, I read a description letter, and I make sure like I hit all these points and I'm, I'm addressing those points with things that I've already done and things I would like to do. Because they want to see like, all right, we get like, you want to do these things, but what have you done? You know, and an uh, interesting thing, I, you know, now that I'm in my position now, I, I serve on a, I've served on a few search community. Uh, search committees for faculty positions in our department and it's interesting being on this side of it because now you see these little things and the differences of, between people's cover letters and their cvs so definitely making sure you know when you're doing your cover letter that you're hitting those points and then uh, my cv and the cv is something i started like my first year my doctoral degree and i just like add on as i did more things um, I think a, a really good exercise is to write a CV of what you want it to look like in a few years, like say your first year of your doctorate, and then try to make sure you hit those objectives. So when it's time for applying for this job, you know, this fictitious job, you know, I make sure my cover letter is nicely organized. You know, it looks very clean, it's very organized, it's filled with you know, all of my teaching experience, all of my, my experience in terms of performance. Uh, if you've worked on or like any service, like this could be committees, this could be things within your community, this could be serving on um, different organizations like ITG or NTC or anything like that. I put that in my service and all these different things, but you really just want your CV to look really clean, really organized. I, I've come to uh, share the opinion that a really sloppy uh, CV makes me just like go to the next application like really quickly because you have so many applicants to look through like you don't want to be like trying to figure out what this person is saying or what their intentions are so it has to be really really clean so once I, I submit uh, my cover letter um, and obviously I get my cover letter proofread by usually a few different people all right 
because um, you want to make sure like not only that it reads well, that like you're articulating what you think you're articulating. And so like, you know, having a mentor, like, you know, like we have, you know, I, I can easily send my cover letter to my former teachers and they'll read it and it's like, all right, this looks good. Maybe try this, maybe try that. So that when I submit, um, it, it's, it reads really, really well. So after I submit my cover letter and my CV, and then sometimes jobs, they want you to send recordings in the first round um, or links to a recording. So this is, goes back to what I was saying about making sure you have really good recordings. Um, and for me, like when I do my recordings, I, I did all, I did some audio recordings as well as video. I think it's good to have both. Sometimes they'll uh, specify that they only want video recordings. So just again, making sure you're really reading the description of the job and what they want so that you're submitting exactly what they want. No more, no less. Because again, they have a lot to go through, right? And they don't want to be having to go through like pages and pages of, of your materials, right? That can be, you, you, you'd be surprised how biased someone can or how much you can turn off somebody by like, all this all this information that they didn't ask for right um, so uh, making sure you have you know clean recordings obviously you know you don't want to have something that's like poorly produced a lot of like chip notes a lot of missed things you just want a nice clean recording um so you know i'll submit all those materials and then from there it's really a waiting game and again depending on the job you know it sometimes it might take a week or sometimes it might take months depending on however the search committee i mean there's a lot of factors that is either outside of the committee's control you know sometimes it's university issues but anyway um so assuming i get a call back after i submit these materials then you know that first round is typically like a skype interview or zoom today a zoom interview um, so be, before I, I, I do those interviews, if, I, if you're lucky enough to get that interview, um, sometimes they are 30 minute interviews, sometimes they're 15 minute interviews. It really depends on what the committee is, has decided to do. Um, but when I get the notifications like, hey, we would like to interview you. And I was like, okay, great. I spend days researching um, the school. I mean, even though I already did it, I do it more deep dive into the school like where's the school located what what are the issues like is it a school in a rural area okay if it's in a rural area then you kind of have an idea like what the issues are going to be at this particular school or if it's in the middle of a, a big city then you kind of know what the issues might be you know where are the the big programs like recruiting programs in the area i think it's good to know those things I think it's good to know who's going to be on the committee. They'll send you a list who's all on the committee and, you know, seeing if you know anybody or if um, that way you can kind of talk to them like you you know them. Um, I mean, you don't have to like say their names or anything like that in the interview, but I think it's good just to know like who's in your committee, like what's their area of focus. Um, that way you can, in, in I guess some ways, maybe have a connection with them. Um, but you know, doing a lot of research in the program, you want to know everything that you can about that program before that very first interview. Um, so I spend, you know, typically hours just reading as much as I can about the curriculum, the type of degrees they offer, um, the size of their department, 
um, everything you can know about the program, I think is really important to know before you get to that first interview. Now, when I do the, the also another thing I do, and sorry if I'm going too long here. No, no, you're good, you're great. Uh, uh, I do a lot of I do a lot of practice interviews, right? It's like preparing for a recital, right? I do there. I mean, there are a lot of great resources online about like interview questions for higher ed. So you know, I found some good ones, and there would be like hundred questions, and like I'll either record myself like either on Zoom or on my phone or something, and I will just you know state the question, and then I'll answer it, and then I'll rewatch this whole thing because there's little things you can do that you may not realize you do little nervous tics um, that, you know, a committee member might see and it's like, oh, he seems either nervous or like he's stumbling over himself, but you may not realize that unless you practice, you know, answering the questions. And there are certain questions that you'll probably get across the board, like something regarding to recruiting, talking about your teaching philosophies, talking about, um, you know, collaborations with other people. So those are typically questions that you're going to get regardless of the institution, right? Um, so, you know, I, like I said, like spending a lot of time practicing, interviewing either in the mirror or on camera. I think doing it on camera is best because you can go back and, and actually watch yourself answer it. Or if you have a friend who can ask the questions, like uh, I've actually did this, uh, a, a good friend of mine um, was interviewing for a job. They had like a, their first round Skype interview and they asked me, hey, could I like, do a mock interview with you. I'm like, yeah, sure. So we did like a, a mock interview on Zoom and I asked him questions and he answered and I gave him feedback. And I think that's really important. I think that really helps. So when you get into the real interview, you feel comfortable. It's like, all right, I've already done this a bunch of times. And you can really flush out your answers. To me, like the best interviews are not people who just like talk, talk, talk. It's people who have very concise answers. You can tell it's very like, very thought out, you know? But here's my uh, teaching philosophies, A, B, C, D, boom, done. Next question. This is my philosophy on recruiting, A, B, C, D, done. Um, so it's it's about like really flushing out your answers and having a really defined like philosophy to being a higher ed educator, you know? Um, so I, I, I practice that and I wanna make sure like my answers are very concise. Um, and then, you know, if, you know, after that first interview, sometimes it can be another week or two before they call you back if you're fortunate. And if you, you get called back for the final round and it typically, granted, there might be a little different now with COVID, but you, you do that last uh, round of interviews in person. Um, typically they'll fly you out. Um, you, you know, you'll fly in like the day before um, and you'll get there and you'll have to do a, like a, a mini recital, maybe like 20, 30 minutes recital, um, and then followed by interview with a committee, probably interview with like the dean or the department chair, or maybe both. Um, you'll do a master class with students, maybe like a uh, like a, a hangout with the students so they can talk to you and ask you questions, um, meet and greet with different people in the faculty um, department. So the, the interview day is a very long day. Uh, I've done a few of these and it usually starts early in the morning. I, I've had some where, you know, they, they meet me at my hotel at like 8 a.m. You know, we go maybe get a quick breakfast or coffee and then you're on at like nine until like six or seven that day. So it's a really long day. 
And I think it's important to be mentally prepared for that. Um, Cause you kind of, they, they send you the schedule. So you, you know, ahead of time, what you're going to be doing and like how the day is scheduled. Um, so if you can, you know, beforehand, you know, kind of practice that way. Like if you're recital, like I, I had to do a recital at like nine 30 in the morning, um, which is fine. Cause that's normally when I practice anyway. So I'm, Oh yeah, I'll be fine to do that. Um, but if you're not used to like maybe doing a full recital at 9 30 maybe you'll spend some time doing a recital at 9 30 in the morning and then a master class like right after um so you know as you know that's a that's a long that's a grind just you know doing your recital plus a master class right after that's yeah a, it's that's, a grind. that's, uh, that's mentally it, exhausting yeah it, it it really is um but you know that's that's what you have to do and you have to like mentally it's like any other audition just be mentally and physically prepared to do that um and then you know the other interviews again going back and practicing your interview questions and how you want to respond and and all your little mannerisms that we do without noticing it and just kind of like practicing that so like i (laughs) when i was doing uh my interviews i would practice all these things you know i would practice like you know, getting up early, you know, going to the office, do, you know, doing a warm up and then doing the recital. And then after that, just like pretending I'm doing like a, a master class, you know, or just like teaching a lesson, one of my students teaching a lesson and kind of treating it, oh, this would be what the master class is like right after I did a full recital. And then the interviews and, and, and just practicing your interview questions over and over. I mean, you don't know what they're going to ask you, but again, there are certain questions that are, you're going to see across the board, right? And every once in a while, there are, I've, I've come across a few interv- in, interview questions where it's like, I don't know, like, I, I, <laughs> but, you know, when that happens, I, I, I have some stories where like, they asked me a question that I've never heard someone ask in an interview and I had to sit there and think for like a few seconds. And then I was able to answer it, um, I think, success, uh, successfully. But, you know, I think there, there will be some curveballs. You never know what they're going to ask. But, you know, just being mentally prepared for that and, um, and calm when the, those situations happen. Um, so, yeah. And, and, you know, so that interview day is it's a very long process. And I think it's really about the, the faculty who are interviewing, they want to see your personality, they want to see what type of person, because ultimately they're not just hiring somebody to teach, they're there, hiring somebody to be their colleague. So you, I'm not saying you need to put on your best attitudes, just like be who you are, you know, be, you don't have to be fake, just be who you are and, and you know, everything else will take care of itself. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a really long day. I can't, there's no way around it. So like I said, you know, and after that day, they'll, you know, you'll probably go out for dinner. Um, and then you fly back home either that sometimes that night, depending on the school or sometimes early that next morning. So I've had a situation where I flew in that morning, did everything that day and flew out that same night. So it's, yeah. So you can imagine like, that being a very long process and in in a very short span of time, but being mentally prepared to do all those things. Um, so, and you know, if again, if you're lucky to make it to that interview and you, you go through that process, then from there, um, it's kind of a waiting game. I'm usually depending how many finalists, usually there's about two or three finalists that they'll interview. Um, 
So after that's over, I mean, if you're the first candidate, you might have to wait a little longer versus if you're the final candidate. Um, but usually, you know, a week or two after that, you will hopefully get a phone call and say you won the job or whatever. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of like a long process. I know from like cover letter to like the final interview, but you know, it's, 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 that's kind of the game you kind of have to play with higher, higher ed, you know, audition process. It is a long process it's, and there's luck. I mean, you can't, you can have all the, the great materials. You can like kill your, your recital. You can feel like you did really good in the master class. And sometimes it's about the fit. Maybe they're looking for something different. And it's not like, oh, you you weren't as good as you thought you were. It's just like maybe they were looking for something a little different for their that fits their needs of their department, um, which happens all the time. Like I have known some search committees where we had very qualified candidates. Um, you know, you have these two or three people who both can do the job. Because in my opinion, like if you make it to the final round, whoever those finalists are, any one of them can do the job, right? which is why they're the finalists. And it's really about that committee figuring out, all right, who's, who fits best for what we do here and with the personalities that we have in our department. Um, so, you know, if you don't get it, you know, it's not an indictment on who you are as a teacher or as a player, it's just about like who fits the needs of that department a little stronger, you know, so. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah. going back to something that you said earlier when you were doing your Peabody audition you know what separates you from others do you have an answer to that I mean what is what is your answer yeah so like for me I think the difference between me and maybe somebody else is as you know like, I have a very strong like music education background um so to me like I have always been really into teaching and not just like teaching trumpet but just being a, a music educator so like you you already know this, but like my very first job um, out of my doctorate wasn't a trumpet specific teaching job. It was assistant director of bands um, at a liberal arts college. So my primary job was conducting and teaching methods and conducting cup band and conducting our community um, band and, and and doing a lot of stuff outside of what we were quote unquote trained to do, you know, play trumpet, teach trumpet. Um, so I think, you know, going all the way back to like high school, like I have just always been into like being a really good music educator, right? And, you know, throughout undergrad, throughout my master's and doctorate, to me, that was going to be my niche, right? I was always really into conducting. I was always really into like teaching pedagogy, right? Like how to get students from point A to point B. Right. Um, so to me, that was my niche and like writing about things that kind of serve that purpose. Right. So like to me, that was the difference. You know, I think most uh, I mean, this could be a, a, a bit of a generalization, but I think most like trumpeters is, is really about like the performance aspect with them and like, you know, you know, getting new works produced, getting you know, recordings done. Um, but for me, it was about like how to teach, you know, what to teach, how to teach, how to get a student here to there, you know, the student who struggles the most, how to get them just this much better each week, you know, and that was to me my niche and everything I've done, I feel like has been in service to that 
um, philosophy. That's great. That's awesome, man. Um, one more question for you. Um, so let's say you're at the end of your doctorate or maybe you're, you know, a few months or half a year removed and you've been applying for jobs, but you haven't been able to get that first interview. What advice do you have for that young professional? Mm -hmm. And are there resources out there or people that they can connect with, or I don't know, something that can help? Because obviously there's something missing or there's mm -hmm. something that's the committee is looking at that they're not really liking. So what advice do you have for that person? Yeah, this is this is real. <laughs> um, especially once you're finishing your doctorate and you're applying for jobs, you're not getting any bites. To me, I think the first thing um, you should evaluate is your CV and your cover letter. Um, and and look out and, and look at how your, your CV is organized. Is it concise? Is it, you know, is it really flushed out? Are there any gaping holes in your CV that could be like work experience or research experience or any like scholarly work experience? Really look at that. You, you know, a good exercise um, our teacher at FSU did, he, he gave us CVs of trumpet professors, like when they were just coming out of their doctor, like young in their career, like, and you were able to see um, their CVs and say, oh, okay, they had this on there, they had that on there, and they were able to get their job, their first job out of the doctor. So I think that was a really good exercise because I said, all right, here's their CV. They were able to get a job, or at least they were able to get interviews, right? Here's my CV. And okay, I don't have this on there. I don't have that. This is a, you know, this is a weakness in my CV. And then try to do something, depending on whatever that weakness is. If it's, you know, research or publications, then get some publications out, you know, go write for, you know, ITG journal, go write for, I mean, there's so many uh, publications you can write for um, that are always looking for writers to do things. Um, so if that's a gap, then, you know, find ways to fill that gap. If it's, you know, performance opportunities, you know, figure that out, you know, network with some local regional orchestras in your area, you know, and this is where, you know, kind of like the networking um, comes into play. Um, so I think that's, you should first evaluate like your CV and then obviously the next thing is kind of like evaluate your, your cover letter. You know, I feel like very fortunate that I feel like even if I ever were to apply for another job, um, not that that'll happen anytime soon, but uh, I can always send like my cover letter to my, my mentor, you know, our teacher at FSU and he'll look it over and he, you know, he's, he's really good with that stuff. And so if, if you have someone like that, like a mentor who's like really good about like looking over cover letters and CVs, send your material to them and, and have them just be very honest. Like, all right, what's missing in my stuff? Like what's, what are, is it just poorly written? Is it missing something? Um, so I think that's where you have to first evaluate just your, your CV and, and your cover letter. And I mean, if you want to send like your recordings to, to somebody else to take a listen to it, um, then that's fine. But typically I, I feel like those who don't get interviews, it comes down to like the materials in their cover letter and CV. Like I said, I, I, I've served on some search committees and like when I look at certain CVs or, or, or cover letters, you can it's like, eh, I don't know about that. Even though the person could be really qualified, I've seen some really qualified people like based on like their current position. And then I look at their cover letter or their CV and it's just like, just not very organized. It's, it's not clean, right? 
And that perception is everything, especially when you don't know the person. You're just going off what you see in front of you. And then you're also comparing them to however many applicants you have. So I think you have to do yourself a, a service by making sure that looks very clean, you know? Um, so I would start there. If you're not getting any bites, find where the weaknesses in your cover letter or the weaknesses in your CV are and go from there. Um, it is a competitive situation um, applying for jobs and you can have 40 people apply for one position easily and everyone has their doctorate. So it's like, all right, well, how do you make the distinctions between all of these people? How do you narrow it down? And uh, I mean, the committee will come up with parameters for that, but you need to be thinking on that level. Like, all right, if I was on a committee and I had 40 applicants for this job, how would I rank my, my material, all right? Is it the best? Is it top 10? Is it top 20? And kind of go from there. I think it, it takes a lot of like being honest with yourself, some self-reflection and, and, and really looking at your material and figuring out, all right, is this good enough to at warrant, you know, that first interview? And once you get into the interview, then it's really up to you. Then you have a little more control in what's happening. Because that first round is kind of a crapshoot because you can have the best materials and it may not work, you know. Um, but, you know, funny enough, like I apply for some jobs and I, I've read a description and I address all the things in their, in their job description. And I, can, I knew from the moment I hit Sam, I was like, I'm going to get an interview for this job because everything aligns with what my strengths are on my CV. You know, I, I hit those points in my cover letter. And I just know I'm going to get an interview for this job. And like nine out of 10, when I've had that feeling going into, you know, applying for a job, that has been the case. I have at the very least got that first interview, you know. Um, so I think you have to start there. Um, look at your materials, have somebody look at it for you, especially someone who's like maybe have served on a bunch of search committees and just have them like be really, really honest with you about like how your material reads to them. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Anything else you want to add or or say? I mean, I think this is like, like you said, thorough to the point. Like yeah, perfect. yeah. Um, again, I, I I definitely want to emphasize kind of like what I said earlier about like if you're if you're getting a doctorate, I'm I'm under under the assumption that like you want to go on hard ed. I feel like I don't say why waste your time, but if that's like not the ultimate goal, then you know, don't put yourself through all, all of that work. But if you are, you know, getting a doctor and you want to go in higher ed teaching, um, it really starts day one, right? It's, it's not, you know, if you're a trumpet player, it's not about the trumpet playing. Doctoral degree is not just about, I mean, you have to do all your recitals, of course, and all that stuff. I'm not saying you don't practice. What I'm saying is that while you're doing your doctorate, you need to be focused on a lot of other stuff outside of trumpet, you know, being a doctoral trumpet student or a clarinet student or a trombone player or cellist, it's not about the playing, it's really about developing you as a professional and getting your, your material to be strong for applying for jobs, uh, get, uh, working on your marketability. It's really about that. Marketability is everything. And so that when you're, you're done, you, you're in a, a, a competitive situation, right? Putting your best foot forward. 
So that, that would be my biggest advice to anybody who's like either a doctoral student who, or maybe just fresh out of doctoral school or someone's considering to be a doctoral student in the future, that if this is like the, the path you wanna go, then you need to be thinking about all those things. You know, I think fortunately for me, when I was at FSU and working on my doctorate, I was around a great group of, of uh, DM trumpets uh, majors. You know, I had a very good cohort. You know, there were like four or five of us and we were all really good friends. And I mean, we still are. And I wouldn't say we pushed each other, but like we were all very active. He said, oh, so-and-so is doing that. Oh, I need to be doing that too. So-and-so is doing this. Someone is publishing this. Someone is recording this album. Someone is, you know, doing this competition. And through that, it's like, all right, it, it, it in some way I guess it forces you to kind of step up, but it makes you realize like, if these people that I'm in school with are doing all these things, imagine what all the trumpet players around the country are doing, at least the ones who are going to be competitive for a job. And I, I think that's why, you know, the, uh, the trumpet players who were in my cohort at FSU when I was there, I think that's why we've all had a lot of success, you know, winning jobs and getting jobs or being finalists for jobs. It's because of that, you know, because of, you know, we have this really tight community and we motivated each other. We worked with each other, with each other we helped each other, you know, all these things we talked to each other about interviews and what we're doing for our CVs, what we're doing for our cover letters. And then we also both, all of us had a, a, a really good teacher who was all about the marketability and making sure like our materials were really strong. So, you know, if you're a doctoral student or entering doctoral school or considering, that's what it's all about. That's what the doctoral, to me, that's what the doctoral degree is about. Finding who you are, finding your niche, you know, becoming a scholar not just a trumpet player or whatever instrument you play. That's what, it, to me, that's what it's all about, you know? So that's, that's great, man. That's my parting words, I guess. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you, man. I know this is going to be an asset and help a lot of people out that are on the journey. And, uh, you know, feel free to, you know, reach out to, to Javen if you have questions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's always willing to help out. So, um, well, cool, man. So let's um, let's wrap this thing up. But uh, before we say goodbye, what are you currently listening to? <laughs> oh, I, you know, I forgot you were going to ask me that. Uh, so, but luckily, I've actually been listening to this group. Um, I don't know if you know uh, Wolfpack. Yeah, so, that's what, funny. <laughs> have you been listening to it? Well, well, yeah, and there's like a group that's kind of associated called the Fearless Flyers. Oh. <laughs> and that was the group that I was going to mention today. Oh, that's, that is funny. Uh, so, yeah, I... Yeah, they've been out for years. I've never heard yeah. them until like this, uh, maybe last week. So I was listening to, I think their newest album that came out last year. And uh, I love the first track on their album is uh, Box Contrapuntus number nine. Like that's yeah. how they start that album. So I'm like, all right, I'm sold. Uh, <laughs> and then it, but I mean, for those people who don't know, it's kind of like a, a funk band, indie like funk band. Um, so they have like singers on there. Some of it's just instrumental. Um, it's a good like blend of music, some Bach, clearly. Uh, so no, that's what I've been listening to this week, and they're like really, really good. Um, and I watched some of their live performances as well. Uh, I think they were on I don't know, maybe like Jimmy Kimmel, one of those like late night shows a few years back. Um, so yeah, Wolf Wolf Pack, and that's spelled with a V, not a W. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think it's Wolf Peck. Yeah, they have a live show at Madison Square Garden that is mm. like legit. Um, I have to watch that one. Yeah, so a group that I've been checking out is called the Fearless Flyers. And it's kind of the same realm of like mm-hmm. funk jam band kind of groove thing. And then also getting back into lettuce as well. So lettuce. getting into some some funk and some horns and mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So that's been it's been good to listen to while on the bike. Mm. oh yeah you've been biking a lot lately yeah so that's Mm. been been my thing yeah 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 well i've been uh, just jamming yeah yeah no they're great man and uh it's cool because a lot of the artists or musicians in the group kind of have their own stuff too so you Mm -hmm. kind of go down that rabbit hole of like Corey wong he's one of the guitarists for wolfpack and he's got like his own music that's like incredible and yeah it's, it's pretty awesome good have yeah. to check it out. Check this stuff yeah. out. I'm new to all this, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're good, man. So, um, yeah, where can? Well, I guess we already know where, but <laughs> yeah, if you guys want to check us out on social media, Coffee and Clark's on Facebook, Coffee and Clark's on Instagram. Um, we've been trying to post some small little clips, some highlight reels, so to speak, from episodes. That way, if you want to get a little appetizer before the actual meal, you can mm. chew on some of that stuff. I like that. <laughs> but, uh, that was nicely done, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Javian, if like we said earlier, if people wanted to reach out to you and ask questions, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, if you want to ask some questions, uh, you can find me on Instagram at nerdycroft. That's with just one F. At on Instagram or Facebook, just my name, JV and Brabham. I'm shooting a message or DM, and I'd be more than happy to, you know, answer any questions, help however I can. Like I said, I'm not a, I don't consider myself an expert, but these are just based on like the things I've experienced in my short career over the past, I guess, what, four years or so, or something like that. Um, so yeah, you can contact me there. And what about you, Tyler? Yeah, so I'm off the whole Instagram, Facebook mm. grid right now, but oh, yeah, I do you... have Facebook Messenger on my mm-hmm. phone still in case people sent me messages through that. So you can contact me there. If not, you can always send a message to Coffee and Clark's. And yeah, uh, we'll yeah, we that. Can, yeah. Yeah, that can yeah, be yeah, and, and I would add, you know, uh, please subscribe to our YouTube uh, page if you want to actually watch the episode or um, and you can subscribe, you can send us comments in our uh, comment section on the YouTube page, and we'll answer those. And five stars on Apple Podcasts, if you just want to listen while you're on a walk, or on a run, or, you know, just wherever. If you're on a long drive, um, just go ahead, or you're taking a practice break, uh, go ahead and <laughs> listen to it on Apple Podcasts, five stars there. And yeah, we'll keep pumping out some content. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. We appreciate it. Javian, thank you. And uh, till next time. Till next time. Thanks for having a cup with me. Yes, sir. See ya. See ya.